Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Well, hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer and uh, on today's show, it's a pretty special show, we have the Treasurer of Australia, Josh Frydenberg. Now, look, don't think this is going to be a normal, boring interview with a treasurer who's running away from not answering questions like you see on 60 Minutes or, or on you know, ABC interview programs with Lee Sales. No, no, this is going to be revealing to you the real Josh Frydenberg. When I showed pictures of a young Josh Frydenberg to the women in, in our office, they could not believe it. In fact, I think most of them are going to vote Liberal after seeing what a guy he was in those days. Anyway, I've got a chance to reveal to you the real Josh Frydenberg. Okay, joining us on the Switzer Show is none other than the Treasurer of Australia, Josh Frydenberg. Josh, thanks for coming on the show. Nice to be with you. Now, Josh, I'm going to eventually get into the, the really boring bits that you've become famous for, namely the economy and whatever, but there are people out there who don't know much about you, and I must admit, I did show a few shots of you when you were a young bloke around the, uh, the office, and some of the young women really were quite impressed. They didn't, they didn't believe it was you, in fact. <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, I do eat for a living now, uh, Pete, and so uh, uh, packed on the kilos. Uh, the age uh, has taken away a few, uh, a few uh, strains of hair, and uh, and obviously, uh, I'm I'm not I'm not the man I used to I used to be in yeah. the, in one sense of the in word. In one sense of the word. So, who is Josh Frydenberg before MP days? Well, before MP days, uh, he was an aspiring tennis player. He uh, was very much a family person uh, with a great group of friends uh, who, who loved his footy um, that he used to go, go to uh, on a weekly basis with his dad, uh, but always interested in, in public policy. Uh, never thought he was going to be a politician when he was growing up. Uh, only came to that later. Had a great experience working uh, for John Howard and Alexander Downer, and and that quenched my thirst of uh, for politics. And spent some time in the uh, in the in the private sector, uh, including in investment banking. After which, um, I uh, tried my hand in in politics. First time uh, lost badly in the uh, in the pre-selection battles. Um, second time round. Um, Got the green light, and uh, it's a real privilege to serve as the member for Kuyong. Okay, really important question. What football team do you follow? I suppose I support Carlton mm. uh, in the AFL and uh, and Melbourne Storm. Okay, good on you, Josh. Now, uh, in, on tennis front, like a lot of people are surprised. You, you were a bad player. Who was the best player you beat? Well, we did uh, knock off Philippousis, but I have to confirm and admit that that was in doubles um, <laughs> but uh, I had a pretty good partner in, in Josh Eagle uh, who went on to uh, be one of the world's best doubles partners but uh, yeah no I've played a lot with Richard Fromberg and, and Mark Philippousis and Wayne Arthurs and other good Australian players mm. uh, but I quickly learned Peter that when it came to tennis my ambitions 
were far greater than my talents. Okay. So um, we've now established that you are, or, well, are, or were once a normal Aussie. How do you think we, we are coping with the lockdowns and the restrictions? Oh, look, I think Australians are very resilient. Uh, I think Australians understand the, the nature of this global pandemic, the pressures that everybody uh, are under. Um, and uh, and I think it's been a Team Australia moment. I think federal and state governments have come together uh, through uh, the National Cabinet. Uh, and I think uh, people are praising the health workers on the front line. And I think uh, it's been a, a really... Uh, it's a big moment for the country uh, that we've been able to to get to this point um, without the uh, the devastation uh, on the health front that we've seen in other countries around the world. Mm. I know it's too early to start popping the champagne, but you know, you know, the inner cabinet must be really over the moon at the performance of the country um, beating the coronavirus so far. And, and even the international recognition of, of that. Um, in terms of, I guess, the second wave, and that's a really important ne- next hurdle for us, what's, your, what's your, your, your best guess on how we'll cope with the second wave? Look, I, I'm obviously trying to avoid uh, you know, second wave of cases uh, that we've seen in um, Singapore, that we saw in Japan, and and our health professionals um, are doing everything they can to uh, to avoid a second wave of cases. Yeah, so, Josh, I, I've made this argument a number of times, both on TV, radio, and in my written uh, pieces. Uh, I, I'm asking the question, why don't we do the sort of things that Hong Kong and other Asian countries do when they get threatened with a virus and just basically make people wear masks in public transports, elevators, and shopping precincts? Well, I have great faith in our medical experts. Mm. And if you look at uh, what they've been able to achieve uh, during this crisis, I think it's a real credit to our health system and and, and to, to Australians following the health advice. Um, and uh, I think that served us well. So I, I think we've, we've forged an Australian way uh, in the economic response uh, and certainly uh, um, the Australian way of doing things on the health side is, has has produced a result that many other countries would be envious of. Yeah, that's true, but we did that by being very restrictive and now we're taking those restrictions away. Well, what, we're only doing that off the back of progress on the health front. Mm. Well, well, I presume, I know you're not doing this, just you know, crossing your fingers and hoping it works, but so is the argument that we've got the infection levels down so low that then means that the likelihood of a terrible second wave where you have to force us to go back to our homes and close the economy down again is a very low risk? Well, again, uh, I know that we'll do everything we can as a country to avoid uh, a second wave. Um, And when it comes to businesses, and you would totally understand this, Peter, um, businesses want to have the confidence that they can reopen knowing that they're not going to face a second wave. Because if you're a small business, you might need to restock. If, For example, if you're a cafe or a restaurant, you're going to have to go and uh, use your working capital or what's left of it to go and purchase food and, and to, to open your doors again. Uh, and, um, you know, that's always a bit of a risk. Mm. And so you want to know that there are the protocols and the processes that are in place to actually protect the public. And uh, I think uh, that's really important. Josh, when it comes to 
JobKeeper and it's supposed to end in September. If we're all back to work and a lot of workers are back in their normal jobs, are you going to try and reduce the the actual total outlay you planned for JobKeeper? Well, in terms of you know, JobKeeper, we've we set it and legislated it for six months. and We said we were doing a review after three months and that's Will, will be the case. We're not planning on any wholesale changes to it. Um, but if you look at the, the number of people on JobKeeper and, and JobSeeker, you're talking about nearly half the Australian labour force. Um, that's a very significant number of people who are relying on government funding. Right. And so, but, you know, th- there clearly is a, a need to make sure you don't overspend if it's not necessary it's a really um, tight um, line you're walking, isn't it, when it comes to, well, do we leave the money there? Do we overpay everybody, to, well, not everybody, but some people, so it actually gives the economy stimulation. But on the other hand, you've got the future debt implications. How are you, how are you working that one out? Well, what we're seeking to do is to provide the immediate support that the public need to provide economic measures that are temporary and that they are targeted and proportionate to the challenges that we face, but that do not stay in any longer than they really have to. We want to bring build that bridge to the recovery phase, uh, and that's something that we've talked about as well as Governor Lowe at the Reserve Bank, because in order to get people back to work, we need the private sector to be investing and we need the restrictions to be easing. And that is why uh, we welcome uh, the decision by the National Cabinet for the three stages of the easing of the restrictions, which together will bring $9.4 billion into the economy each month. What do you think is going to happen to to the recovery, the economic recovery, not so much the stock market recovery? Is it going to be V-shaped, U-shaped, N-shaped, W-shaped, L-shaped or swoosh-shaped? <laughs> yeah, the Nike, the Nike yes, sign. Exactly. Um, it's look, the latest one they've come up with. There is great uncertainty, but we've got confidence that the economy will will bounce back, and you know that unemployment will be elevated for a period. Uh, but obviously, we'll do everything we can to to get people back into jobs. I think from an economic economic perspective, there's going to be lower aggregate demand for some time. I think people will be cautious. I think they'll they'll be saving more, uh, and uh, I think that is a uh, um, is something to, to bear in mind. Um, and obviously, there'll be a different way that businesses go about um, their business on the other side of this uh, coronavirus. I think there will be um, more uh, more use of, of digitalisation in everyday businesses. And you already started to see that, businesses looking for, for different angles to their, um, to, to, to their operations based on the need and the necessity. Um, given that they can't be, you know, working out of an office side by side with their uh, with their fellow worker as would normally be the case. Mm. Now, um, a, a guy who f- uh, sat in your well, you sat in his desk, or he sat in your desk or chair, um, was quite renowned for using the F word when things didn't work out. Josh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't want to besmirch uh, Paul, Paul Keating because you know he's been a very respected. Treasurer of the past and Prime Minister, but I was just wondering: did you did you think about using the F word when you saw the federal court decision yesterday? That is, you know, 
arguing that casual workers are entitled to the same kinds of entitlements that permanent workers get, which could have a very serious implication on the recovery. Well, obviously, we were disappointed with that result, but uh, the you know the attorney general is is working through those issues, and you know we we want to ensure. Um, that people are getting fairly paid for the work that they do, but we're also uh, uh, with that you know businesses can continue to operate, and it's going to be a particularly difficult time on on the other side of this coronavirus uh, that they're going to uh, you know need to have the confidence um, and the cost base that they can, they can operate and continue to employ people. Mm. Well, you need to put in legislation to make sure that that decision of the full bench of the federal court then doesn't get um, applied to or forcefully applied to all casuals? Well, that's a, again, these are issues that have been working um, uh, been working through by, by the Attorney-General. Mm. But, you know, historically, when a Treasurer is really worried about the outcomes, you know, he, he would actually have some, you know, fairly serious conversations with their fellow ministers because this is a really important thing for you and your bottom line because if you don't get people back to work because small businesses so I'm not going to put casuals on, that's going to have a really big impact on your budget bottom line, isn't it? Oh, look, when it, when it, when it comes to uh, small business, they're a, they're a mainstay of the economy. You know, they employ millions of people. We've cut taxes for small businesses. Uh, we've provided incentives for, for them to invest. Uh, we're cutting red tape as well. Um, we've always been the party of small business and we'll continue to be to do so and, and be so. Uh, but when it comes to this decision, we're just working through the ramifications with, uh, with the Attorney General. Now, I don't know how your mind works, Josh. You know, I'm, obviously, I'm, I'm trying to work it out over a very short period of time. <laughs> but I do know that my mind works this way, that I want to try and work out where the economy is going and I want to try and get, get onto it as quickly as possible for a variety of reasons, for the, for the people who read me every morning, I guess for my own investments and whatever. And the one number I've really been happy to look at, because most other economic numbers are terrible as you'd expect because we're, we're reading all the numbers that come from when the coronavirus closed the place down. But the number I really think is fantastic, and I don't know whether you've been watching it as and, and cheering it like I, I have been. The ANZ Roy Morgan Consumer Confidence Reading has gone yes. up now for seven weeks in a row, which I yeah. I think is a, is a great number. H- have you got any more insight into why it's so good? Look, I think uh, the JobKeeper program has had a real impact out there yeah. and the, the various economic incentives that the, and, and support mechanisms that the government has put in place. I think that's resonated with the public. They know that the government has their back and that they will get through this. I think the progress on the health front has been another aspect mm, of it. True. Yep, fine. Now, on the subject of F-words, which you didn't admit to you're actually using, by the way. Yes. <laughs> I, well, well, yeah. I, it depends on which context. Okay, right here. I'll leave it. I'll leave. I'll leave <laughs> I, I, it. I, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want you to get the, you or your listeners to get the uh, the sense that I'm a that I'm a purist in both uh, okay. in both thought and word. Okay, so so when you really serve badly, an F word could be dropped like everybody else. I, I understand, but when you see the kind of tension that's building up between U.S. and China, and you guys in China. Given the fact that you're an, you're the guy who has to stand up and say 
this is the way the economy is going and this is the, the, the numbers that I'm responsible for. Would you prefer that there was just less tension between Australia, US and China? Well, look, obviously, you know, the United States is our major ally and that relationship has served Australia so well. Uh, China's a critical trading partner for us. One in five Australian jobs are related to trade. So we need to ensure that you know, our trading partnerships can continue. Mm. As for Australia, we've always um, charted our own path in the world and uh, that means standing up for our national interest consistent with our national values and we'll continue to do that. The, the 80% slug on our barley, did you see that coming or was it was a bit of a surprise? Oh, look, there's always been some uh, some issues with uh, particular, uh, you know, particular issues around trade. Um, uh, we uh, we believe that not only is the quality of our export the best in the world, whether it's agriculture, whether it's resources, or whether it's even service provision, uh, but also uh, that we, uh, you know, adhere to to the international trading rules, and we've been consistent in that regard. Mm. Josh, one of the best numbers I I've heard over the last six or seven weeks was when the Reserve Bank said, "Well, yeah, you know, we'll probably contract by about six percent or so, and then we'll rebound by six percent or so." And the IMF basically came out with the same kind of call. Uh, but Treasury's not quite as positive, or am I getting the the, the well, wrong look, that, inside that, mail? Look, they've said very clearly, uh, Peter, that uh, the economy uh, will recover. It will take some time. Um, there will be some challenges, uh, but at the, but that we've gone into this crisis from a position of economic strength. A debt to GDP ratio was a quarter of that in the US and the UK. We delivered the first balanced budget in 11 years. Unemployment had fallen to 5.1 percent in February, bearing in mind it was 5.7 percent when we came to government. And at this, and at the same time. Uh, we, uh, you know, we we had seen one and a half million new jobs being created, as well as the bud, as well as uh, national accounts showing that the economy had strengthened in the back half of last year. So we prepare, prepared the economy for the external shocks that uh, that we uh, would be facing, and I think that's kept Australia in good stead, uh, and that will help us in the recovery, which will be tough and it will be long, uh, but. You know, I think Australia is better placed than many other countries. Mm. Now, I know you've got, you've got a lot of things you have to look at yes. uh, in your position. Did you come across the the weird suggestion from Professor Steve Keane that it would be a really good idea if the federal government gave all Australians one hundred thousand dollars on the basis that they have to pay off their debt? He said that basically it's just simply going to be a, a paper entry for you, $2 trillion on one side and $2 trillion out there. Did you come across that? And, and if you did, what was your your take on that? Oh, look, uh, we've, we've set out our um, economic support packages and I think they're serving the country well. <laughs> There'll be lots of people with lots of different ideas, uh, uh, Peter, but at the end of the day, um, we uh, continue to provide that support very substantial indeed, and we think it's best targeted the way it is. I've got to say, Melbourne does really create very decent people, very decent people who, who aren't as nasty as Sydney people, that's for sure, Josh. Mm. And one, one final, or two final questions. Sure. Your favourite inspirational quote? Pain of discipline is far easier than the pain of regret. It's uh, what I had up on my door 
uh, when uh, when I lived at home with my parents and uh, you know going through school and uh, it was a good reminder you know put your head down on the books because you don't want to have any regrets later on mm. uh, and uh, that's uh, that served me well but if I'm allowed to have a second favorite quote yep. it's smooth seas never made for skilled sailors and I think that's very much true that adversity breeds strength mm. and my final one the best life-changing book you've ever read well, I mean, there's lots of books that have impacted me. One of my favourite when it comes to politics has been The Team of Rivals, mm-hmm. uh, which was Doris Kearns Goodwin, uh, about you know the, uh, the presidency of Abraham Lincoln mm-hmm. and uh, how he brought together people uh, who were his political or factional enemies and, uh, and, and brought them together uh, for the benefit of his nation. And that was a very good, a very good. A very good history lesson and a and a, and a very good reminder that uh, that we all are kicking in the same direction. Mm. We might have different values sometimes and different political philosophies, but we're all kicking in the same direction ultimately, which is to serve the Australian people. Right, great, mate. I would have preferred to say join the Rich Club by Peter Switzer, but that was <laughs> that was going to be a real long shot. <laughs> well, as you know, politicians don't join any rich club. <laughs> Josh Frydenberg, Treasurer of Australia, thanks for joining us on the Switzer Show. Thanks, Pete. Now, this is the time when we always look to find some good thing to sell. And I reckon a fantastic to sell uh, thing to sell is the Switzer Report. It has some of the best stock tips from some of the best stock tipsters in the country. And recently, I've just noticed that my wife has been making a fortune on the stock market. And I said to her, have you been doing that? She said, well, I do edit the Switzer Report. So I've been taking all your tips and actually putting them into play. And she's done fantastically well. I reckon you could get an endorsement from Maureen any old day of the week. Anyway, that's a, that's a really honest observation of this uh, Switzer Report. So just go to switzerreport.com.au. It'll cost you $397, the best $397 you'll ever spend, and it probably will be tax deductible for you as well. Well, in this crazy coronavirus crash environment we're living in, something that we all love, going to the movies, has been basically banned. Uh, And today we're talking to Ben Zakola, who's the CEO of Palace Cinemas. Ben, thanks for coming on the program. My pleasure. So some people, I I guess most people should know when they go to a Palace Cinema because you always have, is it a centurion with a, a trumpet or is it? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I do love that guy. It's, it's kind of really old world. Did you did you actually decide to do an old world icon for it? Yeah, we were coming out of the eighties, and um, and we'd been uh, running a video company for quite some time. Mm. Uh, although the original passion was cinema, while cinemas were suffering in the uh, in the eighties, we were running a video company, and so our our logo was rather. Uh, I guess, um, more suited to the video world. Mm. And we were refocusing on a more classy and sophisticated cinema offering for Australia. So we decided that, you know, we wanted a logo that represented this sort of sense of um, timelessness. Mm. And uh, and we came across this image of this kind of herald that was ahead of the the army, you know, signalling that there was a, a, you know, something big was about to happen, basically. Would have been very dangerous, I would have thought, you know, heralding that something big's coming because 
when you're up ahead, they say, well, let's just kill this bastard before we <laughs> escape this big army coming down the road. Interesting, interesting uh, study in Roman tactics or Greek uh, <laughs> tactics with that one. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to look further into that. Yeah, that's right. I'll, I'll but it's, it's leadership. At the end of the day, that you know, it's leadership, and yeah. he's, he's leading something, something big, and uh, motivating and inspiring mm. with his talent. And, and, I, and I think the important point is, it works. I'm talking about it. You know, it's something I yeah. see all the time, and it makes me think. Yeah. Anyway, let's get down to the the. the the more important part of the story is just what is the the history of you know, palace cinema? So uh, my grandfather um, in Italy in the nineteen forties uh, and fifties would rent the church hall and play movies, like, just si- like, like Cinema Paradiso, exactly like it happened in in Cinema Paradiso, and um, and that that's a story that's repeated. Um, by thousands and thousands of families mm. because there are thousands of villages in Italy. Uh, I think there's something like 15,000 villages in Italy and each of them had two or three church churches and church halls. Mm. So, so this, this story, you know, it, it's, it's not unique to our family and it was beautifully immortalized in, in Cinema Paradiso. Yeah. Um, but that's what, that's what he did and it gave um, this sort of, uh, I think it infected his children with this love of cinema which uh, infected his, their children. And so all of us for generations have just been madly in love with cinema and this sort of unique form of escapism. Yeah, and so when did you start basically collecting cinemas? <laughs> um, so, since, so it was my father that started Palace Cinemas uh, in the 1960s. Mm. Uh, he started by renting a, uh, the town hall in Noble Park, yep. which is a suburb... Um, in outer Melbourne, and um, and he always understood that you know as just one cinema you were very exposed um, to the vagaries of the business, and that if you could link together a group of like-minded cinemas, um, that there was some um, safety in numbers. Yep. So my father worked hard to to um, yeah form a form a network of cinemas. We never really liked the word chain. We don't really use the word chain because no. we see it more as a, a group of like-minded cinemas or a network of small businesses that are connected together by common values. Yeah, and were they initially owned by different people or were they all owned by your father? Oh, no, they're all still owned by um, different landlords. We, we rent the locations, mm. um, which is proving particularly difficult right now you know, in the midst of this COVID-19 yeah. pandemic mm. where um, landlords simply say, you know, we, we want our money, sell what you have to. And as a tenant, we're saying the cinemas have been closed by government order. The yeah. building has no use at the moment. Rent cannot be paid. And then the um, shenanigans begin. And, and, and is government policy clear and helpful or is it a little bit muddy and unhelpful? Well, I think the government policy has been disorganised and disconnected between the states. It's very unhelpful in that regard. Uh, The lack of clarity up until this weekend has been been just um, incredibly difficult to try and manage our way through. Um, But one has to recognise that this sort of crisis uh, means that you know government are caught on the hop just like we were caught on the hop and not everything's going to be perfect all of the time. The biggest mistake uh, has been this arbitrary limit of um, the 50 million turnover 
uh, limit where where you know all of the legislation says well if you're above 50 million you're out on your own you can just collapse but under 50 million um, there are all kinds of you know there's a rental mm. code and a retail tenancy code to to help you um, and there was just no need to exclude different classes of business and I think it's always problematic when one seeks to exclude certain classes from certain things that need to be done because it creates so many winners so many you know losers I think. Mm. Uh, in those sorts of scenarios. So Ben, I, I know most people people in, in private companies don't want to say what your, your turnover is. I'm not going to ask you, but clearly the fact you brought it up implies that your the combined turnover of how many cinemas do you have? Uh, we have about 16 cinemas across. Yeah, the so it, w- it wouldn't be hard for you guys to be over 50 million. So therefore, you, you're, you're saying that you're not un- under the protection of the uh, government policies. No, we are not under the protection of the policies. It's like our category of business, which has been completely shut down by government order. Mm. So we're 100% adversely affected, but we have zero protection, zero help. So it's almost like we're being told to carry the can on behalf of everyone else, Mm. carry the can on behalf of employees, carry the can on behalf of government and on behalf of landlords. And obviously you can't do that because what we have is 16 small businesses but they're grouped together so that you can do one set of tax accounts and not have to do 16 sets of tax accounts, which is, you know, too big an undertaking. Mm. So you're, you're effectively running a group of small businesses. So, uh, so, so where is the, the current negotiations? With, I, I presume, what, 16 different landlords? Yeah, all up, I think we're dealing with about 20 landlords. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really busy. And a lot of them have been fantastic. Um, a lot of them have said to us, we, we get it. You are, you've been shut down. This is, this is beyond anyone's control. Let's yep. just get through this together. Yep. And our, our approach, our response and our approach has been, let's recover together. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we're, it's always risky being in the movies, but, um, you know, as the cinema's revenues recover, if a percentage of that is paid up as rent, then the landlord's revenues recover at the same time as the tenant. Mm. And you recover together, and that's far better than anyone being under you know, undue distress mm. or even, God forbid, failing at some point. What percentage of your landlords are on board and what percentage are not on board with your... 75% are on board. Okay. And of the remaining 25%, even, you know, most of those are, are on board to a degree, but not that full extent that we discussed, but yeah. we're working on that. And there's, there's really, you know, maybe 5 to 10% who are um, just adamant that doesn't matter what's going on, COVID-19 doesn't really matter, you've mm. signed a lease, just pay it up, and if that means you have okay. to, you know. So is there, is, there any, is there anyone either at the federal or state government level who's trying to champion your cause? From what I can tell, no. I have had a sympathetic ear from people on both sides of government at uh, federal and state level. Um, beyond sympathy, though, or beyond empathy, there's, there's been no action in that regard. Okay. Okay, so we might just have to um, start talking about this on, on radio and with the Treasurer. All right, that's, in fact, the Treasurer is actually on uh, the, the Switzer Show podcast this week. So I'm, I might Excellent. Have, I, I'm sure Josh ducks down to your Turak Palace Cinema at times. He's not too, he doesn't live too far away from there. So, 
yeah, we might uh, see if he can do something for you. Anyway. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Um, now, another really important question is, how long do you think it would be before the government says, okay, you can go back to the cinema? So Victorian government said that you can go back to the cinema from the 26th of June. Yep. Um, so that date is set. We don't have um, specific dates for all states yet. Um, however, the you know the federal plan outlined it as um, July mm. uh, and mid-July. And there's a really major film being released in July called Tenet by Christopher Nolan. Mm. And I'm guessing you would have seen Inception um, and Dunkirk and um, yeah. and Memento. You know, uh, Christopher Nolan is one of the most celebrated filmmakers alive. He's probably the most talented filmmaker alive right now. Mm. He's had 10 Academy Award wins, 34 Academy Award nominations. Um, and he's he has a film uh, for July the 16th. Um, so it's exciting to be able to open with something fresh and important. And there are several films um, on either side of that as well. Mm. And, uh, and, and there must be a whole lot of cinema goers like myself who are just basically hanging out this cold turkey. Like, sure... Netflix and all that sort of stuff is a holding pattern, but there's nothing like going to a cinema to see a, a really good film. Yeah, the, the, attention, the attention that you have for the larger screen um, is really spectacular. There's something about the mood of the room with other people as well that, that sort of enhances the human experience. So it's, um, it's special. Mm, without a doubt. Now... It seems to me that if I was in your shoes, at some stage I would have been saying to politicians, why can't we just make everyone wear a mask and go in and watch the movie for two hours? They wore a mask for two hours. What kind of infection? And we put them even one seat apart. At least we have a half-filled cinema. Have you tried that? And have they just told you to sod off or what? Um, no, no, there's been discussions, you know, at various levels about when is the, when is an appropriate date. And, and we were, I think in the first eight weeks of the, of the, the shutdown, just trying to work out, you know, what is safe and what isn't. And, mm. um, we're introducing a whole raft of, um, cleaning and hygiene, uh, regimes to ensure that cinemas are properly sanitized between sessions. Um, and, uh, I think, I think though what the society is showing us out there just by looking at people out on the street, um, is that they want to get back to life as normal as much as possible. And a lot of people are contacting us to say, we want to come back to the cinema. Mm. Um, and all indications are that they feel comfortable coming back if there's a seat between their booking and the next booking. So that's what we'll be doing. We'll be adhering by all of the regulations. Yeah. Uh, we'll be wiping down every seat and surface. Um, deep cleaning overnight. Um, there's um, a lot of fresh air gets pumped into cinemas, um, so it's I think a um, it, it's as good an environment as any that are going to be out there in terms of rest and recreation. Well, Ben, it's been great to talk to you. I, I know you guys have been through a, a, a terrible time, like a lot of other businesses, but in particular to be shut down and also still to be shut down, just shows how difficult. Uh, it has been so. Don't worry. We'll um we'll, we'll make sure we uh, sh uh, rattle the windows and shake the walls on your behalf in the future. That's thanks. That means a lot. You know, it's 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 really an unbelievable situation to have zero income overnight. Mm. You know, just to have absolutely nothing coming in to pay the bill yeah. is is incredibly frightening. 
NAB Bank were just fantastic. Uh, we were very grateful that JobKeeper came through as well, mm. and that's what uh, kept us going. So, you know, we'll be reopening in July, and we can't wait to be serving again. I've got, I've got to ask this question, Ben. Do you have some casuals who are saying, how good is this? Like, Ben, ben was a great guy, but I wasn't getting $750 a week. Yes, there are people who are earning you know, $120 a week who are suddenly earning $750 a week. There are people doing one and two shifts yeah. and they're going, great. And I think they're the youngest ones. Yeah. They're the ones that are going to spend it. Yeah. So I think it's probably a good thing because they're going to get out there and they're just going to spend that money in, in the community and that's yeah. probably what the economy needs. Exactly. Thank God we've got those irresponsible young people who can <laughs> save the economy. <laughs> All right, Ben, Brilliant. thanks very much and good luck in the future. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, wasn't that a story and a half? Who would have thought that you know you, you could have a picture show with no people in there? Like, imagine trying to run a business like that, and look at the the kind of discrimination a business like that is facing when it comes to the kind of policies out there to help business. A really interesting story. That's the show for today. Thanks for joining us. I'll talk to you next week. Quentin time. Quentin time.